Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Disc Golf Answer Man. I am Bobby Cool, Daddy Slick Breeze, and in this episode, we have a conversation with Shane Solomon of Door Disc. This is a disc golf pro shop out in Wisconsin. Now, about a year ago, I had Shane on the show, and we talked about to hit the beginnings of his store. So, if you want to learn more about that, you can find that episode. Uh, I'll put a link in the description. But right now, we're going to talk about the landscape of disc golf from the eyes of a, a store owner. I wanted to have a, get a few questions answered as far as like how he's seen the landscape change of disc golf, how people come in and shop his store, and how he makes choices as far as what brands to carry in his store. But before we go to the interview, guys, make sure you check out my online garage sale. That's right, I'm liquidating, gotta go, everything's gotta go. I'm getting rid of my trilogy collection that I have. I've already gotten rid of some of the collectibles, but there are some discs that were never thrown or maybe thrown a couple times, but just never made it into my bag. They were given to me via either my allotment or other ways they were given to me. So I'm getting rid of those discs. You can go to my Instagram, Uncle Bobby Jr., Uncle Bobby Jr. Go to my link in bio and go there or go to my website, Cool Diddy, Cool Diddy, Cool Diddy. <laughs> that that Sean, Sean Puffy Combs, P Diddy, Cool Diddy. <laughs> Anyway, go to CoolDaddySlickBreeze.com and I'll put a link out there as well so you can shop. There's not a whole lot left, but uh, make sure you stay tuned because I've got some uh, I've got some stuff that's going to be really exciting for that online store. So make sure you uh, bookmark it, whatever you want to do to see the exciting stuff I have happening in store for that particular website. So now let's move on. Let's get to the interview. All right. So as I said in the intro, this is St. Solomon from Door Disc. He's had a physical store, a disc golf pro shop for about 19 months now. And I assume things are going good because, wait, I can't share. Am I, am I okay to share that information that you've been sharing with me as far as progress? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you're, you're moving into a new location. So, obviously, right. I'm assuming that means things are going well or you're just wanting to kind of expand the market that you're in. Yes? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a little of both. So, we're, we're seeing... We've almost doubled our business in the past 18 months since, you know, we, we took our first calendar year, which was 2021 compared to 22, almost doubled it. Um, and we're looking at what are the things that we are lacking and can we accommodate that in a new space? So it's kind of the might be a cart before the horse moment, but I think it's also we we really want to identify ourselves as growing a community and actually bringing a community of disc golf to this area. And with the space we have, yeah, we have a shop. People can look at discs, but there's nothing else that we can do in that shop because it's only an 800 square foot shop. So the space that um, I recently just acquired is actually the building itself is 5,700 square feet. Um, and the retail, the retail portion of it is um, 2,600 square feet. So that'll be, I mean, triple the shop size. We'll be able to do you know, indoor leagues and make truly a community area for disc golf or even just for the community itself. Excellent. Um, so yeah. if you want to, now we're going to dive a little deeper because about a year ago I had you on the podcast and that's where we learned a little bit right. more about how you got started as a store owner. So I want to, if you guys want to learn a little bit more about his start with uh, Door Disc, then go back about a year and I'll put a link in the description of this episode so you can listen to that if you want that mm -hmm. background stuff. But uh, right now I want to talk more about how things have been going, how are they looking as far as 2023? I thought it'd be interesting to come from a store owner's perspective, especially someone that's been around, you know, as yourself, well, just a, almost, you know, not quite two years, but just kind of going through the ups and downs, the ebbs and flow of the disc golf business. So from your perspective right. as a disc golf store owner, 
what has been going into 2023, what what trends did you see in 2022 that you're kind of getting prepared for as far as, as, far as 2023? You know, I think 2022 offered a lot of insight for us because it was the first time, obviously, in our um, physical shop location, but also with the online store prior that we actually had access to whatever discs we wanted um, because 2020 brought a shortage of plastic and the industry slowly crawled out of that in 2022, which was great, great for us. Um, and we were very fortunate with some of the connections we had. We were able to get some plastic, um, but to actually choose what discs we want to keep on the shelves. And that was a discovery that we had to make. It wasn't just get plastic and put it on the shelves. It was what is the plastic we should have on the shelves. And <clears throat> looking at the trends, I'm seeing boutique brands in 2022 kind of blew up. We're talking clash. You can see the <laughs> banner right behind you, but you know, we're talking clash and um, Casa Plast. I mean, obviously that was prior to, and you're seeing Lone Star pop up, you know, thought space is becoming more of a through. So you're looking at all these boutique brands and I'm calling them boutique because there's, you know, kind of the three headed dragon that's out there with the other companies. Um, and then the rest of them all kind of fall below that, in my humble opinion, <clears throat> and not in quality or anything like that, just in their market share in my home, kind of the way that I look at it. So with all those smaller boutique brands, people really get behind those because I think it, it identifies with the grassroots of disc golf. And with me playing over the last 20, 21 years now, <laughs> over the last 21 years, it ends up being something that Innova was the thing and Discraft was kind of the redheaded stepchild. I hate to say it, you know, just through history, because they were the ultimate company coming into disc golf. Um, and he knew he had all those other smaller brands that were out there during that time. Some of them exist. Some of them didn't DJ still around those things, but just trying to get our pulse on what is going to be a viable brand and company that we can invest into as far as bringing their plastic in the shop, taking up that shelf space and figuring out what are some of the old school companies or some of the established companies that we can bring in that still sell because we're seeing things. And, and I, you know, I'm not going to pull any punches because I'll tell all our sales reps the same thing, but, you know, like Prodigy and Legacy and DGA, we just don't move plastic for them. And it might be a regional thing, but some of these more established brands that have been around for a good while, I mean, at least Prodigy is the newest at 12, 2012. I, it's, it's, it's hard to guess why, um, but the just simple fact is, is they don't move and they're some of the more established companies. Yeah. Now, something I want to touch base that you mentioned as far as the pandemic and how it, it, I remember the times of when it was just, you know, we would, when I worked for DD, we were like, hey, Latitude 64, just send us whatever you have because we don't, you know, people are buying whatever we have. Um, mm -hmm. So how did you, how did you figure out or, or was it, how noticeable was it? Or I guess, guess what I'm getting at is that, so you went from a time where it's like, just send me what you got. Please just send yeah. me what you have. And even that was limited. But then how did you notice a shift to all of a sudden now I can order what I really want? And was that like was that like a like a aha moment or did, was it just a slow thing that you saw happening? Um, it was pretty much a slow thing. So there were certain companies that um, allowed us to order what we had, what what they had. We could pick and choose from what they had. But, you know, places like uh, Discraft still just send us allotment every three weeks um and we don't really have a choice except for once a month to choose what we want 
Um, but it wasn't one of those, like, it wasn't like someone flipped a switch and everything just started rolling. It was more of a gradually company by company. We're starting to see more product on the shelf. For instance, you know, the trilogy brands have a beautiful distribution website, which is really easy to use, really easy to function. Mm -hmm. But we just started to see from the 15 options, then we went to 40, then we went to 60, then we went to, and the numbers on the availability just kept rising, which was great. And it wasn't a rush to get on the website as soon as something drops because they were going to have stuff. So a lot of those things we weren't, we didn't have to deal with as much. So if I was in the middle of a meeting for uh, another business or with another client or I'm sitting at the desk, I wasn't like, uh, give me a second. I got to order this real quick or I'm going to miss it. Um, and that was a, that's nice to be back to that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, it brings a whole new challenge. And I think I've said this to you, um, but it brings a whole new challenge to what we do in the disc golf industry because everybody is so brand loyal to what they have or even mold loyal. It goes as, as far as just mold, like what's the best mid range? Like, well, everybody wants a buzz. So if I bring in a hundred buzzes are our hundred buzzes going to sell? Well, I don't like that buzz. I like this, you know? So then it's playing that game because it's not just, this is what's available. So I'm going to buy it. Um, now you're playing, well, I, I really like the ESP flex. Oh no, no, I don't like that run at ESP, you know? So you get into these games that you have to play and it is what it is. That's something we have to do being in the disc golf market, but, um, it does make it a lot harder. And I'll get back to what I said to you is that between the automotive industry, the hospitality hotel industry, the restaurant industry. Um, and I don't know, you know, in the leadership coaching, I don't know if there's a harder industry that I've ever had to be in just simply because of all the little moving parts. This is the hardest business and market that I've ever had to break into. And it's, it's great. I love it. I love the challenge, but man, it's hard. It's yeah. hard because of all the moving parts. And especially, I think when we got into it, the difficulty, I mean, it was actually fairly easy because you got what you got and everybody, that's what they were buying. They were just pulling stuff off the shelf. Cause it was a, it was a FOMO. It was a fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't buy that now, am I ever going to be able to get another one again? And now shelves are filling up and people are going, well, I'll just wait till the next drop. Or I know this one's coming or I don't like that color. That wasn't questioned when we first started and we first opened up. Oh, that's interesting. That kind of leads me to uh, my next question. And I went on the PDJ website and I saw that according to the PDJ website, there are 116 disc golf disc manufacturers. Now there's add on to that basket man, people that just make baskets, but that's what I counted on their website. I mean, that's crazy. So, yeah. um, so as a store store owner and you kind of alluded to that, it's like, what? what? How do you keep up with that? How do you keep up with all the, the I would imagine you can't keep up with all the brands. So no, what's no, kind of the no. process to make sure you have discs that people want? I just simply listen to our demographic. Um, so between social media, the podcast, things like that, we, we have a decent reach into the community, which is fantastic. Um, and we just wait for people to ask for the stuff that they want. Um, now we took a risk with Lone Star. We took a risk with a couple other smaller brands some worked out really well, some didn't. Um, but we just simply wait till someone asks, or there's a point where a friend or someone we play with or 
a rep will reach out to us and just say, Hey, you know, and they, they play that dog and pony show. We love what you're doing. We really want to get you into the market, you know, do that whole thing, which I understand. I mean, it's what they do and it depends how good the people are. And then we'll decide to pick them up or not pick them up. Um, and I, I think primarily the easiest answer is we just listen to what the, what our uh, customers want, what the players around us want. Awesome. Now that kind of brings me to the whole Simon and the NB MVP <laughs> effect, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that demand for MVP went up or was that just kind of a, it did immediately. Yeah. Um, as soon as it happened. So there's two people in the industry that have that effect. It's the Simon effect and the Paul effect. <laughs> and between those two people, if they say something, it happens. And so when uh, Simon went over immediately, um, every, all of our excess MVP that hadn't truly been moving over the last year and a half all started moving again. We're getting orders that are based simply all MVP. And for that to come through was really rare in the past. But as soon as Simon went over, everything started disappearing. And as soon as he says a name of a disc, like I was trying to think what was the... Uh, Anyways, he was an overstable driver that he threw, and I can't remember the name of it, but um, Pyro, I don't remember what else. But anyways, hadn't sold a single one since we brought him in. We don't have him anymore. Just, <laughs> it's just that easy, you know? Now, do you think- <laughs> To have you, that influence. Do you think, and I don't know if it's, there's, a, there's a way to tell, is that is that people that already throw MVP, that all of a sudden they just have a reinvigorated- passion for the brand or how what percentage you think it is that people that have never thrown mvp and all of a sudden now they want to try it because simon's thrown it um i think the majority of what we are seeing are people that are doing it because simon does it or yeah. maybe they threw it at once and now they're coming back to it because simon's back there um i yeah there are those diehards that are out there that are just kind of refilling their bags but it is I guess fairly coincidental that yeah. we get so many MVP orders when Simon does that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the, the influence there for sure. Now, how would you right. say the, the local pro influence is compared now, obviously they won't move as much as Simon is as far as, right. you know, as quantity, but you know, is there, is there a local influence? Is there a local pro that it seems to be who they're sponsored by or what they throw influences, what you see move through the store? Um, no, no. sadly. Um, yeah. I wish there was somebody there that was that way that we could get in their ear, but no, um, I think we see a lot of groupthink, and I think disc golf is such a small community at this point that as soon as something catches fire, everybody wants to jump on top of it. Um, so when we're, we're seeing, I mean, we'll use Lone Star, um, Lone Star, love it or hate what they did with their Ranger team. Mm -hmm. I think it was, a brilliant marketing strategy because they have a force out there that's probably larger than any other disc golf team or marketing team out there. And if your buddy's throwing this and you see him hit the lines, they're just bragging about it. What's the thing you're going to do the next time you go into a shop and you see that Lariat or whatever it is, you're going to grab that Lariat um, because you just got to try it. Because if your buddy throws it that good and he has that advantage, then that disc must be the issue. You know, that disc must be the thing that's going to fix that game. So um, I really think a lot of it's just kind of group think you go through these spans where things become the, I mean, there was a point where the EMAC truth was one of the most popular discs, you know, out there, everybody had one in their bag and now pretty few and far between when you see them. 
Um, there was a point where the trespass was one of the most popular drivers out there, you know, and right now you rarely see a trespass in a bag. You know, now it's the grace. Now it's the, you just see those group think things that go on as soon as yeah. someone gets it and says they're beautiful. And then there's Simon and Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Now do you, so do you think that that's a, a temporary marketing move? In other words, they kind of ride that wave to help build their name. And then move on. Oh, I say that because it's it's very familiar it, familiar in my mind to what Prodigy did when they came out with their street team, in that they even got some of the same ridicule that Lone Star is getting. And by the way, when I say ridicule, I'm saying online ridicule. I'm not giving yeah. my opinion at all here. But right. there was the ridicule on Prodigy, the same thing where you, you the whole uh, meme was that you had to buy to be a sponsor. You basically paid to become sponsored <laughs> uh, with Prodigy. Yeah. So. And that seems to have come and go. And you yourself said kind of prodigy seems to be hard to move uh, mm -hmm. as far as a product. So I, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that uh, campaign as far as having so many people on board and how it yeah. plays out in the future. I mean, my my humble opinion on it is like prodigy. We can't deny that prodigy did something special for yeah. the game of disc. Oh, for sure. Um, with what they did with their team. And, you know, whether we feel that it was a good thing or a bad thing, personally for us, um, it did change landscape of disc golf. And I think I would assume that Lone Star is doing the same thing and just stepping back as a business person looking in, um, there's no contracts that are longer than one year and their agreement with the Ranger team no longer than one year. And so what I'm assuming is they're, it's a marketing blast that they're, they're going to put out there and they're getting discs in hands. That's simply what they're doing and i bet you at the end of this year they're going to scale everything way back oh yeah um my humble opinion um but if i were the one running that company brilliant move yeah. you know i would have patted myself on the back for it <laughs> so <laughs> nice okay so um uh so I, I guess we've kind of answered this a little bit but you've seen i've sir mm -hmm. uh, you've been in your 19 months you've seen c some brands come and go you've heard of brands come and go is that is yeah. that like a noticeable thing that you ever get a brand in or you take a chance in a brand and you feel the plastic like, ah, I don't know if this this is going to make it. I mean, and I ask that because it seems like. I mean, I don't I, I'm not bagging on anybody that does it at all, but it seems like if you, mm. you know, if you've got the right machine and a little bit of money, you can start creating discs as long as you have some yes. sort of plastic source. And so that doesn't always equal equal quality. So uh, what has been your experience in, in that area? So some of the smaller brands that we brought in and, you know, it's, this is not, I'm, when I say this, I'm not knocking the brand or the manufacturer. Um, this simply just did not work in our store. Now there's many reasons why it may or may not work. Maybe we're not pushing it hard enough as a salesman, you know, maybe we're not giving it the best shelf space. Maybe, maybe it's just too soon you know maybe some a lot of these trends sometimes you just get on the wagon too soon and you end up falling off before that wagon really starts moving um so with that being said we had brought in mint pretty early right away um just didn't move um we had brought in birdie fantastic plastic feels the molds are good and if you actually throw them they're great discs um birdie disc golf was the same thing we brought them in early and we just haven't moved anything and you know prodigy was a company that I was very familiar with, knew it, stood the test of time. And for some reason, 
right about the time we started buying things, they just started having some issues and just fell out of popularity. And now we're having a real hard time moving it. Now, regionally, it just doesn't move in Wisconsin, but I know there are certain areas that it moves really well. Um, then we did the same thing. We Let's talk about Legacy. Legacy, we brought in their full line, put it up, gave it a really great space in the shop. It just simply doesn't move. But if you look at the marketing engines that are behind these companies, you know, to taking our faults aside, you know, like taking door disc golf inability to move it because of, you know, our marketing efforts and things like that. Globally, the best brands are the ones with the best marketing schemes and the best players. So, the, so, so you really rely on the manufacturer taking on those marketing dollars, which makes sense. But is that, right. is that a big part of what you decide to bring into your store? Yes, it does. I mean, we do take the underdogs because we don't mind them um, and we will put them in there. We take chances on them. I mean, quite often we do kind of boutique brands, like I keep saying, but the ones that we know we're going to sell, they're going to be our cash cows. They're kind of our, um, they're our Cadillacs and the rest are kind of Pintos. And I, I hate comparing it that way because I'm giving them kind of a, but yeah. we know they're going to move. We know they're going to not take up shelf space. They're just going to continue to cycle through. Um, are the ones that put the time and effort into marketing in all of these avenues that um, disc golfers are at. And for them to do that for us is invaluable because, yes, I want my business to thrive. But if I'm going to put that type of money and manpower, I'm promoting the shop, I'm promoting the podcast, I'm promoting our internal and building our brand. I'm not going to try to build someone else's brand. Yeah, that makes you know, a lot of sense. Um, no. We got to focus our dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that was always that was one of the one of the driving strategies uh, that I used when at Dynamic Discs was and one of the strategies I used when I was building Cool Daddy Slick Breezes is that I wanted I wanted people for Cool Daddy I wanted people to want to be in one of my videos so that they would share and then when I was with Dynamic Discs a lot of the taglines that we always made sure we said was. Uh, ask your favorite disc golf store if they're going to have this new release. And if they're not, ask them why, because I wanted them to reach out to the store and I wanted the stores to know that we are pushing our brand so that you can be successful with our brand and therefore buy more of our discs. And so I totally agree with that in that a store that has limited, you know, you've got other things you're trying to take care of as far as costs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So to allow the disc golf manufacturers to take on some of that, I think is a, a good move. So according mm-hmm. to a website that I read, golf, whether you call it real golf, ball golf, whatever. <laughs> golf. Golf. <laughs> there are 50 different golf club manufacturers. Now, that's what I found on a website. Whether that's totally true or not, I looked at a few different websites and 50 seemed to be the number that, that kept coming up. Uh, 50 different golf club manufacturers in the golf club market, but 80% of the golf club market is controlled by less than 10 of the major companies. Do you feel that that's true in disc golf? Um, I, I alluded to it earlier. Yes, I do. Um, I think there are, <laughs> I've coined them the Walmart of disc golf. <laughs> um, there are the individuals that are out there just pumping out plastic and through a multitude of brands. I mean, the Latitude 64 plant puts out what five different manufacturers out of that one plant. Um, and you look at MVP and they're doing three or four different uh, brands out of their plant. I think if I remember right though, I think they're at five. Oh, they're at five. So yeah, I mean, so you're looking yeah. at some of the larger individuals and MVP is a sneaky one because 
they don't dominate a market like Innova and L64 does. And, but for some reason they're everywhere. I mean, they, 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 they have their hands in so many different things. Um, you know, and then we also look at Discraft and I just think Discraft is slowly creeping up that totem pole as well. But I think between those four, um, yeah, I, I think they dominate probably, I would say maybe even magnitudes larger, maybe 90%, 80 to 90%. I mean, as far as our sales go, that's what it says. Yeah, I would say that, the, I mean, I, I'm sure that rings true with any uh, industry that the bigger companies run a lot of it. I mean, they, if, especially if you follow the philosophy, philosophy of the 80-20 rule, um, that would make a lot more sense. And that makes it a... Right. Uh, that makes it a, a, an uphill battle for a company trying to make it. Uh, but there are also some advantages because they can be a little more nimble than the bigger companies. A lot of times the bigger companies take a longer, lot, lot longer to pivot or make adjustments in what they're doing, uh, right. responding to yeah. trends and things like that. Um, so, okay. So speaking of the big manufacturer, all the disc golf stores and all the online presence, I mean, um, full transparency. I have my old trilogy allotment on, line right now um you can go buy mm -hmm. a disc for like 15 dollars, 10 dollars, just because i have no margin to have to work with because a lot of those were given to me as mm -hmm. my allotment or given to me as you know different reasons but you you have to ha watch your margins you're paying for something and you've got to make money off of it so how do you yep. compete how do how do you as a store that has a physical store and an online store how do you compete one with the facebook and the social medias the guy that you know, is selling it out of his apartment. So he has no store mm -hmm. to pay for. He has no employees to pay. And then also, um, how do you compete with the manufacturers that, that have the big marketing dollars that, you know, when certain companies have something go on sale, they're going to be spending money on Facebook ads and things like that. So how do you compete mm -hmm. with those two entities? So I think compete. So I'm very much in economies of conglomeration believer that i think the better someone does the better we're all going to do um that rising tide lifts all boats you know pick a cliche statement and yeah. i really truly believe in that regard um but with that being said there's still a realistic approach that we have to take to things and when i look at manufacturers so we'll start with manufacturers manufacturers with their own websites to sell the discs i get it direct to consumer is the cheapest and easiest way to make sure that you're bringing the highest profit back into your business um, and it would be dumb of them not to do it for us as wholesalers. It is kind of a kick in the pants <laughs> for lack of a better term that manufacturers do that because why would I try to search out Joe blow when I know for a fact that they are going to have the best selection at the whole, at the manufacturer site, they're going to have the best selection, no matter what, there's going to be discs that wholesalers don't get. And that's something we just simply can't compete with. And we just have to resign ourselves to the fact that if we want to make a difference in that market, then we have to do something exceptional on our end. And by that, I mean, you see hot stamping machines becoming a pretty prevalent thing in disc golf now, because how can we set ourselves apart is, Hey, if you want a disc, I'll flip it over. I'll bottom stamp our, you know, Harvey logo on it, the owl. And then that sets us apart a little bit. And that's very simple. But if you kind of extrapolate that into something a bit bigger in a marketing scheme, that's the only way you're going to be able to compete with the manufacturers selling the same stuff that they're selling you. So now we talk about the little guys, like the guys in the basement um, selling stuff. 
that is hard to compete with too, because I know there's checks and balances on the other end of our spectrum from the manufacturers to say, Hey, you can't do that. You should have a brick and mortar store. But I think that's all been kind of lost in this pandemic era because they were just trying to bring the money in Yeah, plain and simple. They needed to move the plastic to keep their business going. I get it. The desperation created this, but hopefully at one point there is a checks and balance, but in the same regard, I'm super happy for these guys because if they started in a basement, you know, they may move to a garage, then a storage unit, and then they might open a brick and mortar. And that's only good for the sport. Yeah. So with that utopic thought out of the way, <laughs> um, we develop and compete through our community. Um, we look at what we're doing for the community and within the community, um, not only locally, but globally as well. When I say globally, I'm thinking disc golf, like don't think I'm going to Saudi Arabia and making a difference with a disc. No, um, it's truly within disc golf. Cause that's the easiest thing to, you know, go through. But, um, when we talk about making a difference, like we truly want to make sure that between the customer service and the community that we serve, we're doing the absolute best we can. And that's how we set ourselves apart. Um, and it's slowly but surely working. I mean, what we're doing, yes, we make mistakes. Uh, we've sent the wrong discs to people. There's so on and so forth. There's so many different things that I can count on more fingers than I have that we've made mistakes on, but we correct the mistakes. We don't make them again. And then we move on. Um, and we make sure that the person or the community that we're targeting is number one. It's not our pocketbook or us. So that's kind of how we've approached it. Yeah. Um, all right. So I had posted this on the Facebook group uh, for Disc Golf Man and on uh, some Instagram stuff. So I got a few questions from some people that you kind of covered, but maybe you can kind of expand upon them a little bit more. Uh, sure. Jamie asks, as a brick and mortar, do you see any benefits to sponsoring players versus using that money to run higher paying events? Um, yes, I do see because we're actually increasing our team a bit. And I, I kind of made mention to Lone Star. Um, and I think they're the most relevant because they've been the hottest topic and that I, I'm not giving them free publicity. <laughs> Just they're the most relevant thing that I can talk about. But their Ranger team, um, I mean, look at the strides they've made just in the short amount of time because of that team. Um, with that being said, we have we have an aspect on our team that I say, I don't want to have someone on my team. That's not someone that I look forward to playing with uh, or that I don't look forward to playing with. So we want them to be the guys that you're excited. They're on your card or ladies. Um, and we found that within our local region. And I'm starting to find some of them outside of our local region that we're, you know, starting to bring on the team. And I think we've increased the team by about six people this year. Um, but we're doing it slowly because I don't want to be a man or a team that can't supply what we've promised or give, you know, give the support to the, the members that they need. Um, now, obviously we're not doing anything big. We're get a little stipend. You get a percentage off at the shop. You get a code that you can give out to people to, you know, get a little kickback and you get a shirt, maybe a mug, you know, something like that. And I'll give you a pat on the back or a high five when I see you. Um, but we want to make sure that we follow through with all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, we got to keep it as, as big as we can, but as small as we can manage. Okay. That sounds great. Donnie asks, why do certain brands do better in your store? And I, and again, you kind of alluded to that as far as regional stuff, but, um, is it totally run by 
the influence of the region? I think there is a regional aspect to it. Um, I think there is a global, when we're talking about global again, it's that disc golf global. There's that global aspect to it where it depends on what the manufacturer is doing um, and how they're marketing it as well, but also, you know, quality. And I, I know Donnie, I think I know Donnie, mm. <laughs> if this is the Donnie that Donnie I know. Donnie disc golf, yeah. Yep. So um, it is, I think there is a, there's a whole plethora of things, but to be honest, I can sell any disc that I want to sell to somebody if I don't care about what the outcome is once they have it in their hand. Once I get their money and they have that disc in their hand, if I could care less after that point, I can sell anything. But in honesty, I want to make sure that I'm doing right by the person because it's not just that cell I'm looking at. I'm also looking at the community so I make more cells in the future. So I got to make sure that I'm putting quality into their hand and stuff that's going to work. So if companies aren't putting that in my on my shelves, then I can't sell that to my customers. Yeah. Um, and sometimes companies make mistakes and Donnie will understand what I'm saying. Sometimes companies make mistakes and put out a subpar product Yeah. and we just simply can't move it. Yeah, that makes sense. KJM underscore disc. What do you do to sell plastic that isn't moving very well? Sales. <laughs> as, um, as, as you currently have a 20% off disc craft sale going on. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's just because I have a plethora of, uh, I purchased one of those basement disc golf companies <laughs> and he, <laughs> he had about, I don't know, it was close to 3000 discs. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and I'd probably say about 2000 of it was disc craft. So not that we don't sell disc craft. It's just that we have a plethora of, um, and so I figured why not let's get some of this product moving to make way for the Paul effect that's mm -hmm. coming pretty soon. So, um, but yeah, I think between sales and also hyping up, especially some of the underrated molds and discs and manufacturers that are out there, just making sure that as a salesperson, when people come in, that we're really, truly betraying these discs for what they are. So if someone says, hey, I want an FD, it's like, man, have you ever thrown, I don't know, the Lariat or have you ever thrown the whatever it may be that is a comparable thing that just simply isn't moving? Um, and just trying like, these are sneaky, good people don't have them. They're sitting on the shelf. You're not going to have to compete with everybody else to try to get, you know, three or four of them as backups. You can just grab them right now. Cause they're sitting here and you're not going to have to search everywhere. So there's a lot of ways that we can go about, you know, moving some of the not so desirable plastic. Um, this is an interesting question. This is from Ben. How do you say his last name? He's, he, you know him, Ben Kar Kar oh, Karowski. Karowski. Yes. Ben Karowski. Karowski yeah. yeah. Um, and I say it's interesting because um, I recently got Hulu so that I could watch the Australian Open. And I discovered some shows like the Shark Tank, which I used to watch all the time. And so <laughs> I just, I've uh, been watching some of the more recent. Anyway, they always bring up a point about shelf space. You know, mm -hmm. um, they had some products that they were upset. They were not upset, but they didn't like because they were big and bulky. And it was like shelf space is very valuable in these big box stores. And so I'd imagine this, the same goes for a disc golf shop. So his question is, are bags a big waste of valuable retail space? Cause yeah, I mean, think of it like a, a Ranger bag or a Squatch or those mm -hmm. are huge bags. They don't collapse at all. You know, mm -hmm. two come in a box, a huge box. And so that's yep. also shipping costs. And so how do you navigate that as far as a disc golf store? Uh, 
So it is a necessary evil, but a waste of valuable retail space. Absolutely. Um, so the necessary evil is, is you got to have them. Um, you got to represent it. And I think it is a necessity for disc golfers to have, um, you know, good bags and to be exposed to the different types of bags. But, you know, the, the space that an AX5 takes up, I could put 90 discs in that space. Oh my gosh. Really? So if you think of it that way. Yeah. And then we talk about Zookas, you know, we have the Zooka yeah. carts, the space that Zookas is actually less than an AX5 because Zookas aren't as wide, but you know, I can put about 60 discs where a Zooka sits. Wow. So whether we like it or not, in a, in a retail shop, what moves is our discs, the plastic moves. And you got the little, you know, the sundries and the the other things, you know, like the DG Max Wax and the whale sacks and the, you know, the, the extendable pole getter thingies, <laughs> quick sticks. There you go. Uh, um, you know, those things move as well, but plastic is what we have found moves. And, you know, we talk about wasted space is clothing and apparel as well. It's spaces that a ton of discs. I mean, the areas that we have our clothing and accessories, I mean, we could definitely put a lot more plastic, but once again, they're necessary evils. You don't want to just walk into a, well, maybe you do. Um, but I wouldn't want to just walk into a shop and there is nothing but discs and only discs. Like I want to see the new, fun, exciting, little innovative things like those, those things that cover the basket that have the holes in them, the putt confidently things. Yeah. How are those doing? I thought those were interesting. I, I think they're awesome. I, I mean, I want to bring in a few into the shop, but um, I just want one on my, <laughs> my putting cage, but I, I used one of them at Ledgestone and I thought it was really cool, but it really demoralized me right before the round. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, but you know, you just want to see those things and everybody wants to see the new fun, exciting, you know, disc golf accessories, diff, disc golf adjacent things. So I also real quick, uh, so I'll let you go, but, uh, I, I want to get your input on some questions that I asked in my focus group. I have a focus group. Mm -hmm. So if you go to disc golf answer man up until Friday, the 27th, um, I'm taking, I'm giving away three discs, a peach, a pepper, and a salt all from class discs Two distance driver one mid range so that I can get some data information from people, but I want to get your take on it as a disc golfer and a store owner. But what, mm -hmm. give me something that you think that uh, disc golf manufacturers are underrated, uh, a, a tactic or strategy that's underrated coming from disc golf manufacturers that have you seen have influenced people's and their purchases. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the ability to sell the ice cube to an Eskimo in disc golf is incredible. Um, manufacturers can reproduce a disc that has been reproduced in every different plastic by every manufacturer and be able to spin it that this is the next best and greatest thing. So it would be simply like taking a Titleist Pro V1 and renaming it a, you know, a birdie probie, a birdie X one and saying like, this is going to be a thousand times better than this, even though the exact same thing. So you look at all the FD clones, the destroyer clones, the it's amazing how people can look at something and, or how disc manufacturers can say that this is going to be the next biggest, best thing. And I, I don't know. I mean, there, I don't know if there's another industry that does as well as disc manufacturers do of 
like painting a turd gold and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. having success, you know, selling it. I, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's amazing to me because the, the different molds that I have in the shop or that we have in the shop, I grab them and I can tell you, okay, there's this one, this one, and this one that are exactly the same. Like just go figure out what plastic you'd like better and you'll be fine. You know? <laughs> so I think, yeah. And I think that's uh, like, like you said, that comes back to marketing. In other words, what, what mm-hmm. I, I, I always had that, that thinking as well is that, there are a lot of companies that make really gr- they have great plastic they feel good they make a good disc right. they last um but what is the message that people are getting that say to say i prefer that disc over the other one that i could get and a lot a lot of that comes with the relationship and connection you create as a manufacturer to the audience um yeah. so yeah um let's see what as you have a physical store so you talk to people that come mm-hmm. in what what does it usually take for someone to say, okay, I have XY from ABC company and you're like, you should try this one. What is what mm-hmm. do you do you see as an influence when someone says, okay, I'm going to try that. Even though it fl- flies familiar to what I already have, I want to try that one. I think it is, it's truly a, that's that sales pitch. I mean, when you walk in and you look at a, a destroyer compared to a DD3 compared to a cloud breaker compared to, I mean, go on and on. We can, we can find any disc, but it's really, I think on So my approach is always honesty. Look, if you like that disc, keep using that disc. But if you want to try something that maybe beats in a little quicker or beats in a little slower or and pick whatever, you know, arbitrary thing out on the outliers of what this disc is going to do, um, if that's what they're looking for and you can lead them into that, then I can focus them into something different. So, you know, uh, you want to, you love the shrike, uh, but yeah, it just beats in too quick. It gets too flippy. I was like, well, grab a wave. Like those things take quite a while to break in and they're pretty similar to a shrike. You know, it, I can, I can move them into it. And plus you look at all these awesome colors you can get it in and it's going to be two colors on the same, you know, so it's just all appealing to whatever. And when you bring in kids, like the stamps mean a lot. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I can walk them up to a stamp and there are individuals that have really big color preferences. Like I can never find this in this color. Well, look, this is the same disc and these guys have a plethora of colors. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that you can go about it, but it's truly just being honest with them and figuring out what, like I said, what that peripheral thing is that they're looking for, maybe just slightly dissatisfied with, and then we can move them into another manufacturer. So what predictions do you have for 2023 as far as the disc golf business? So this is a scary one. Being <laughs> an eternal optimist, <laughs> I feel that we're still going to see growth. Yeah. Um, if we're not seeing growth, we're going to be flat, but flat's not bad. Um, the growth that disc golf has seen over the last five years is incredible. It's unprecedented in reality. Um, but I think we're going to stay flat or grow. Now the realist in me kind of looks at it and says, Roller coasters can only go so high. Yeah. Um, and they have to come down at one point. And I think without getting political, the economy that we're seeing right now is at a place that only harkens to saying that it's going to do some pretty negative things pretty soon. Um, but we've seen in 2020 that disc golf is recession proof. You know, I'll throw up the air quotes. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if it truly is re- recession proof, in my humble opinion. Um, but I think there are some ways that we can mitigate the risk 
and what disc golf is doing. And I think disc golf itself is a cheap, reliable, affordable sport. And we're not going to immediately lose parks. We're not going to immediately lose these plastics and some of these stores. And I think hopefully we will have that recession proof um, handle on it, but who knows, you know, but if my hopes and dreams and there's, you know, rainbows, butterflies and fairies flying around, um, we're just going to keep climbing the way we are. And we're going to keep getting new courses in the ground and the, you know, the multiplication factors are just going to keep rising with how disc golf is growing. So, but the realist in me kind of doesn't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, saying this has been a great conversation. I appreciate it. Um, I love hearing your insights. I love getting, I, I'm so thankful that you put up with my text every now and then when I have a random thought. So I appreciate you. <laughs> for sure. Answering. For sure. I enjoy it. Okay. So, but I appreciate your insights as a store owner and I know you'll be successful just based on our, our friendship and our uh, conversations we've had. So I look forward yeah. to seeing you have continued success in disc golf and in other areas of business that you are involved in. But if people want to shop you online and find out more about door disc, where can they go? doordisc.com is our website um and then door underscore disc underscore golf is the instagram um and then on the instagram is a link tree that points everywhere else we do have our podcast that you get to hear this lovely voice actually you get to see this beautiful face now <laughs> yeah <I saw> so, that. <laughs> so um yeah we have that and so night owls disc golf podcast which you kindly helped us get going and we just kind of hit the ground running believe it or not 98 episodes that's awesome yeah that's fantastic. so um yeah, so that's kind of the big three ways. So the uh, website, doordisc.com, podcast, um, Night Owls Disc Golf Podcast, and then um, door underscore disc underscore golf for Instagram. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get back to whatever you said you were building, building a, a countertop or it's what? A, yeah, we're doing a concrete countertop. So okay. I, I made mention that my wife loved the one I did in this office over here. Um, and she's like, we should do it in one of our motel rooms. So we happen to be remodeling one of our... Uh, um, sweets. So guess what I get to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you go have fun with that. Thanks again, yeah, Shane. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a good day. Good stuff from Shane Solomon. Hopefully you got some good information out of that particular episode. I really, really appreciate it. Now I'm going to create a form. Again, you can go to cooldaddyslickbreeze.com and I'm going to create a form for the Disc Golf Answer Man Show. If you want to elect somebody for me to interview, to talk about stuff in disc golf, a store owner, a course designer, uh, creates any kind of widget for disc golf and they're trying to build it. I, I, that stuff excites me. I love people creating businesses around disc golf and I want to get to know them more. So go to my form, cooldaddyslickbreeze.com. You'll see a disc golf answer man uh, link. That way you can maybe nominate, you can put their name, put their email address and I can reach out to them. Or if you are already a disc golf person that's try trying to create a business, There'll be a link there as well so we can set up a time to be able to get you on the show. I really appreciate it, guys. You guys have a fantastic week.